Hi everyone, I'm Joe, and you are listening to Speaking of Race. Today on the podcast, we're going to do something a bit different than we've done before. We're going to reshare an episode from our sister podcast, The Sausage of Science, which is the Human Biology Association's podcast hosted by Chris Lynn and Kara Ackerbach. In that interview, they're talking with Lance Gravely and Connie Mulligan, both professors at the University of Florida, whose research unpacks the ways in which discrimination erodes the health of people who are the targets of it, even making them possibly more susceptible to the complications of things like COVID. So it's a very, very relevant episode about the ways in which discrimination creates health inequalities that we've talked about on this podcast before, like in our mini series on race and health. We hope you enjoy it. Today, we are talking to Lance Gravely and Connie Mulligan, the first author, the corresponding author of this page for Peter Reg, cannot join us today because he's currently trying to move like cross country. To LA, I think. And the second author is, is the Health Equity Alliance of Tallahassee Steering Committee. So it's, it's a community participatory action type of approach. Hey, Lance, what's going on? Hello, Connie. Welcome to the podcast. Yep. Thank you. Hi. Anyway, welcome to the show. Both of you, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day, which I'm sure is busy, even though we're all under stay-at-home orders of various degrees. I wonder, before we sort of launch into the questions about the article, if you could tell us about the Health Equity Alliance of Tallahassee. When we started the project in Tallahassee, which um, really began in 2007. The first step was really to try to build relationships with people who were already doing relevant work, uh, relevant community organizing, relevant advocacy. And so that was the first few years of the work, really, was just building those relationships, building a shared vision for how we were going to work together as university researchers and community folks. You know, coming at it from my perspective, the central thrust of my whole research program is to identify and challenge racial genetic determinism in medicine and to a lesser extent in public health. And, you know, there are a lot of social scientists who are involved in that work, but most stop at the critique. What's exciting about the collaboration with Connie is that by combining ethnography and genetic data and survey and epidemiologic techniques, we can take the critique seriously and we can test ideas about, well, okay, is there a genetic component to these disparities or is it really, are we looking at the biological consequences of systemic racism? It's really astounding to me that there aren't more research groups doing that still because it's clearly that's what's at stake. And you can see it even playing out now in discussions around Mm COVID-19 it's still a very antiquated uh, nature or nurture kind of thing and very little research that actually pulls together the data, taking genetic and environmental components of complex traits seriously, treating them with equal rigor and trying to put competing hypotheses head to head. We just need a lot more of that still. I think too, I mean, because I sort of thought at the beginning, why don't more people do this? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, you know, there is that. It's, it's hard. I mean, you and I have to be very open-minded and very willing to go outside our zone of comfort. It'd be easy to just stay doing lots of genetics and, you know, not worrying, you know, just controlling for all that cultural environmental stuff. 
And I think that's a, a really wonderful segue to actually bring in the article now that you all wrote that just got its official volume and issue with AJHB, where you're looking at telomere length and discrimination among African Americans in Tallahassee, Florida. Let's dive down into the weeds a little bit about what are telomeres, why do they tell us anything, and how do you even get information, for example, about discrimination from them? Yeah, so telomeres are the ends of chromosomes, and they're just repeated sequences. So they're repeated thousands of times. And the reason is because every time a cell divides and the chromosome, all the chromosomes are replicated, you've got this problem with at the very end of the chromosome, the whole replication, the DNA replication machinery can't get on the very end of the chromosome and then start replicating. It has to start a little bit inward just so it gets a hold of it, mm. all right? And so that means every time a cell divides and the whole genome is replicated, you lose a couple bases at the end. So we absolutely know that telomeres shorten with age. But on top of that, we've seen evidence that the shortening process can be accelerated with certain things like stress, like discrimination. And this fits in with Arlene Geronimus's weathering hypothesis that, yep. you know, a body gets worn down. The ends of chromosomes literally get worn off. So that's kind of a cool idea. But then I'm like, yeah, but wait a second. How does that really happen molecular? You know, so how do more base pairs get lost in a single cellular division because someone's stressed? Well, because stress and discrimination and, and, you know, sort of psychological things like that do wear us down and then sort of reduce the activity of lots of things. And so one of the things that whose activity is reduced is an enzyme called telomerase. All right, so it's been shown that telomerase activity is reduced in association with stress. While the, the telomeres shorten a little bit with every cell division, then the telomerase goes back and adds on just a little bit, right? So it's kind of this balancing act. You don't want to lose too much, but it doesn't add on the full length that was lost. But if you've got less telomerase activity in the cell, you're going to have less added on after every little bit that's lost. So you can see where it would mean that there's just a little bit more lost in every cell if there's less telomerase, which like I said, it's been associated with, with different types of stress or different types of, of disease. So that's what we were interested in, in looking at. Telomere length is from a genetics standpoint, it's pretty easy data to get. Peter actually generated the entire data set for all the Tallahassee individuals. And then you can address all these really cool questions about can stress possibly physically, genetically wear a body, a genome down. It's not like we really understand how causative it might be. So when chromosomes get to a certain critically small length, the cell, it stops replicating. It's kind of dead, kind of not dead, kind of zombie-like, right? And so senescent cells have been associated with things like with um, arthrosclerotic plaques, mm. you know, have a high concentration of senescent blood cells. So there might be some causative aspect to this, you know, discrimination might, you know, actually cause an accelerated shortening of telomeres and shortened telomeres might actually cause some sorts of diseases. I mean, our work is purely correlative, but that's kind of the framework for it. So to think about the weathering hypothesis, I'm, I'm thinking about literal weather. This and is I what think, we I mean, the picture I have in my head is sort of 
the way the way water can literally smooth stones, right? It's just the relentless action of water, the relentless action of discrimination, right? It just physically wears you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the temporal component of it is really key as well, because the, the strongest, most consistent evidence in the literature is about the associations between early life exposures and adult telomere length. Looking at adults the literature is is a little bit more mixed, with the exception of discrimination, but the data on discrimination seems to be fairly consistent. There aren't a lot of papers out yet now. I think ours is maybe the fifth in this area that looks at associations between racial discrimination and telomere length. And that's one of the places where actually the, the associations seem to be most consistent. A lot of other adult stressors that people have looked at, you get kind of mixed results. And so I think a, a lot of it is really about also specifying what are the meaningful social stressors that are producing these kinds of effects. And really, there are probably many different ones. So that raises actually a lot of other important questions moving forward. So, Lance, I've heard you talk about this previously. I wonder if you can unpack a little bit about how you measured the sense of discrimination, because it's not just, importantly, whether you personally have experienced discrimination or not, but it gets at the broader social context of discrimination. How did you guys go about that? Well, one of the most important things that came out of the ethnographic phase of the project was that when we talked to people about ways that they had experienced race or racism, often people responded with stories of things that had happened to other people, to their family members, to coworkers, to uh, close friends. And so this got us tuned into the fact that there was a mismatch between the way most of the literature measures experiences of discrimination. Most of that literature focuses on what happens to you devoid of social context. So we took one of the most common measures of uh, experiences of discrimination, one developed by David Williams. And um, that the questions normally ask whether you, the respondent, have experienced unfair treatment in a variety of domains. And we tweaked it just to say, have you or someone close to you experienced unfair treatment in these domains? And that allowed us to look at the differences between direct experience of discrimination and the sense of vicarious discrimination of knowing people close to you who have been treated unfairly. And in some of uh, our earlier work, We have two papers that show that that measure of vicarious racism was associated with blood pressure outcomes through interactions with particular genotypes. And um, one of those papers led by Jackie Quinlan is compelling because it suggests that there's a different biological pathway from vicarious racism to blood pressure than is the case for direct discrimination to blood pressure. In this paper, it turned out that the vicarious measure was not associated with telomere length. The the only associations that we observe here are with self-reported direct experience of discrimination. And we don't exactly know why, but I think that the fact that we're getting different findings with different Uh, phenotypes is just a reminder that this is really complex stuff and that the pathways linking different experiences of discrimination and other kinds of social stressors to different biological outcomes are going to be are going to be varied so we wouldn't necessarily expect the same set of associations with blood pressure that we get with with telomere length and one reason and i'm just sort of speculating here, but one reason is that if you if you look back at the Quinlan et al. paper that we published 
in 2016. It shows that there's an interaction between vicarious racism and uh, three SNPs that had previously been associated with dimensions of mood disorders and psychosocial distress, whereas the measure of self-reported discrimination was associated with a SNP that had been associated with serum cholesterol in African-Americans. And so it suggests that, you know, one of the pathways is more directly into cardiovascular and another one is coming more through mood regulation, psychosocial distress, appraisal. And so it could be that that's also why we're seeing the direct self-measure pickup on telomere length. Perhaps there's a more direct chain to release of epinephrine, norepinephrine, and the secondary release of cortisol that's producing the oxidative stress that's causing cell replication and and uh, suppressing telomerase and so forth. So I don't think we I don't think we have it worked out. What are all the pathways there? Just to be thinking about the complexity of stressors and that more than likely in the broader domain of uh, research on racial health inequalities, we are drastically underestimating the exposures that people are getting and that we need to start thinking about how those different dimensions of discrimination might have various physiological consequences. When we looked at that unfair treatment to self-measure, we picked up associations with SNPs in genes that had been previously identified as being associated with blood pressure. So that was great. So it showed that despite the small sample size of our study, you know, we were able to pick up associations that other people had picked up. But I mean, it really showed the feasibility of the study. But then what was really interesting, like Lance said, when we added in this measure of vicarious discrimination, and specifically in a statistical interaction with SNPs, we picked up a a completely different class of genes. There were three Mm -hmm. different genes that all had to do with mood disorders and anxiety and suicidality and how we might imagine that possibly the powerlessness felt in experiencing, you know, discrimination vicariously might impact you more psychologically, more emotionally, but still in the same way, get your blood pressure up. And so it was really interesting to think that, you know, this might then have direct implications for racial disparities in health, because nobody else is looking at this measure of vicarious discrimination and the whole idea that this experience of discrimination is processed through a completely different biological pathway that, you know, maybe at the end then impacts blood pressure made total sense. So like Lance said, there are a lot of different ways that discrimination may impact a body, physical, mental health. And then the current study where we're looking at telomere length, I mean, that's completely different than looking at how blood pressure is regulated. Mm -hmm. And so it's really looking at how the genome, how chromosome ends are maintained throughout cellular division, right? And it may be simply telomerase activity levels. But to me, it's not at all surprising that that unfair treatment to self was more important with respect to telomere length, but unfair treatment to self and the vicarious measure were both important for blood pressure. I think that's totally consistent. Broad effects of discrimination on, on health. And so if you had to package this in a short sentence or two, big picture, especially for like medical doctors, a medical doctor reading this and wondering, right, how should this be impacting my treatment or intake of medical history, those kinds of things? What would be your short one to two sentence, big picture results, and then broader applicability of this work? For me, the the big picture takeaway is that it's more evidence 
that the toxic stress of dealing with racism is harmful to people's health. And that matters for the kinds of interventions that we ought to be thinking about. We ought to be thinking about dismantling the structures that put people in those stressful situations. And it also means that we should resist the temptation to reduce racial differences to genetic ones. And unfortunately, that remains a common reflex in medicine and in biomedical sciences. So it's yet more evidence that says um, these biological differences are a consequence of structural inequalities, and that's where our attention should be. Yeah, I guess I would say discrimination and maybe more broadly stress. We know it impacts us psychologically. Probably a smaller subset of people know that it impacts your physical health. But what this study shows is that it it even affects us at our genome level. It grinds down the ends of our chromosomes. I mean, that's pretty drastic, right? To think that something like, you know, being discriminated against, um, however you might imagine a discriminatory experience being, I don't think many people actually envision it grinding down the ends of your chromosomes like, like we found. And so I think it really means, like Lance says, we need to take seriously how to rectify the, the whole system that maintains discrimination. And if you want to get even broader, all stress. So, so I mean, I, I cannot claim to have experienced, you know, discrimination, but I certainly experienced stress. And so I think if, if we want to make it even more broadly relevant, we can say that, you know, stress has these effects also, but I, I don't want to take it away at all from the uniqueness of racial discrimination and racism. I loop it back around. I saw Alex Brewis at Lance on Twitter regarding discrimination against people who have survived and, and been cured of COVID and almost an internalization of stigma. And then we also see evidence already emerging that African-Americans are at increased risk for COVID-19. So how do we, how do we take what's going on with the pandemic and think in an active way, I guess, more than just think, like, what do we do with your research and what's going on in the world right now and all of our senses of urgency to help each other? Yeah, I absolutely think that the current moment has made this work more urgent. And I was really thinking about that when I answered the earlier question, because, you know, although we had no idea what was coming when we did this work, you could speculate about the downstream consequences of shortened telomeres because we know there are associations with cardiovascular disease, diabetes, uh, immunosuppression. So those are all disease states that would put people at higher risk of serious complications or death from COVID-19. So the, the toxic stresses that we're talking about are directly relevant to the current moment. The other way that it's relevant is I am, I am dismayed, though not surprised, at the fact that um, 19th century ideas about race and disease have reared their head in the response to COVID-19. We've seen politicians and journalists and physicians and biomedical researchers writing in the most prominent places, both in popular media and in scientific journals like JAMA and The Lancet this assertion that the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on people of African descent is because of some unspecified and unmeasured genetic differences. 
And no, we have no evidence that that's the case. We have ample evidence that the experiences people have in their lifetimes because of systemic racism have many biological consequences that would adequately explain the social patterning of COVID-19 that we see right now. And, you know, many people have been articulating this critique for decades. I think it's a real challenge for us now as scientists to say, what are we doing? What are we doing wrong that we're not getting this message through? Because we're still seeing it come out, not just among lay people, but among authors writing in JAMA and The Lancet and places where people really ought to know by now that race is not a good proxy for genetic susceptibility to disease. So I think it's a real, for me, it is, it is really challenge me to think about what what else do we need to be doing to articulate this critique and make the evidence plain so that it begins to have some real impact. Why is it so hard to get it across? I think because people don't want to believe it. It's, it's somehow easier to believe that there's a genetic variant or a genetic susceptibility that other people have. So that means I don't have to to worry about this because I'm not responsible for it and I don't have it. The, the politics of this kind of science have to be part of the discussion. Uh, and in fact, the first utterance that I heard of somebody suggesting that it was, a, it was genes that could explain why African-Americans were dying at higher rates from COVID-19 was the senator from Louisiana, Bill Cassidy. So he's making, he also happens to be a physician, but he invoked the idea of genetics. And think about what the political implications of that are. If the answer is genetics, well, then the rest of us are off the hook. Yeah. But if the answer is that um, the system is rigged and that there are structural inequities that um, oppress and devalue, devalue people who are racialized as black, okay, now, now all of us are on the hook. And now there's only a political remedy. Uh, and so that means that the, the interest in um, pushing that explanation away are very deeply entrenched. Um, so again, another way, another reason that we need to think about dismantling systems of oppression is that it will actually probably result in better science. Well, we can hope. Well, this has been a fantastic uh interview to with both of you thank you both so much for your excellent work and i look forward to seeing more well thank you for that thank you this this was great this was a real pleasure this was a pleasure for us as well thank you both for taking the time i'm joe the cultural anthropologist and you've been listening to speaking of race find us on facebook twitter instagram and wherever you get your podcasts